about a year ago, Lauren and I and our girls moved into a new house. And we're very grateful for this new house. That's not a picture of it, by the way, but it is a house, a little stick figure. That's, I didn't draw that, but that is about the extent of my artistic abilities right there. I can draw a little stick house, but just to get the, you know, the idea across that we're talking about houses to start. We moved into our home about a year ago. We're thankful for our home. We've spent the better part of the year painting and sprucing up and furnishing and, you know, doing some projects here and there to make the house our home. But in the year that I have lived in our house, I have not for even a second thought that our home was not built at some point in history. In fact, I know that it was built. It was built in 1993. So I have never for even a moment thought that it wasn't uh, a constructed structure, that it wasn't built, and that it didn't have a builder. Imagine if I said to you, you know, I'm starting to think that my house wasn't actually built. It wasn't constructed. Uh, and that there was no builder who, who you know, brought the house from the foundation up. I, I think what may have happened is there may have been some sort of swift and significant event in 1993, maybe like an explosion, that brought all the materials together to form my house. If I were to say that to you, you would think that I was starting to lose my mind, that I was crazy, that I was no longer fit to stand in this pulpit because I was starting to go insane. And yet, what I have just described is similar to how many people believe that our vast and intricate universe came into existence. Now this morning, I want us to talk about something very basic, very fundamental to our faith and to the convictions that we have as Christians. There are basically two competing views about how all things that we look around and witness, how all things came to be. The first view is this. There was a huge explosion that brought our universe into existence about, give or take, 13 billion years ago. And life, plant life, animal life, and human life came about later. A product of random chance processes that have been going on for eons. Now that may be oversimplified, but generally that is the view that a lot of people take in our world today about how everything came to be. The second view is this. There is an all-powerful, all-knowing, divine being that made all things. And I haven't even got into what the Scriptures teach. I'm just saying, generally, if we were to shut our Bibles, if we weren't to even consider the special revelation that we have in God's Word, a lot of people would say these are the two main, primary, competing views. Like the Hebrews writer observes in our New Testament, every house is built by someone. He seems to be speaking to the illustration that I shared earlier. Every house is built by someone. We know that. We intuit that. We assume that. But then he goes on to say, the Hebrews writer, this is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, but the builder of all things is God. He is the architect. He is the general contractor. He is the one behind the construction project of the world and the whole entire universe. I don't have to tell you this, but the Bible, as we well know, presents the second view and fills in even more details. Because what the Bible tells us 
is that this divine being, this all-powerful, all-knowing divine being who creates all things, is one and the same with the one true God of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament, who is also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what the Bible in the Old and New Testaments reveals is that the Creator of the world is Yahweh, the, the God, the Lord that Israel worshipped in the Old Testament, who is also the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the God that we worship today. They're all one in the same. The Hebrew verb to create, which is used several times in Genesis chapter 1 and elsewhere in the Old Testament, is bara. That's the Hebrew term that is translated to create the verb. And this term emphasizes the initiation of an object, the origin, the beginning point of something. And you'll be interested to know that this verb throughout the Old Testament is used only with God as the subject. Never is this verb used with a human or any other creature as the subject. Only God and God only is the one who barahs, who creates. Now, it matters deeply, and here again, something that I do not have to tell you, but it bears repeating, it's really important for us to remember this, it matters deeply which view you believe, which view you embrace. It is not inconsequential. It is not just, hey, pick, pick one or the other, it doesn't really matter. No, it matters deeply. It matters, um, I mean, it has far-reaching implications. Which one of these competing views you choose to believe, especially in how you view human life? And that's what I really want to focus on in the next few moments. It shapes which view you pick shapes your worldview enormously, especially in regard to what you believe about human life. And let me show you what I mean. In the first view, meaning all things in this view, all things came about you know, by chance, in this view, you, me, us, humans, we are a cosmic accident. We are the result of chance. And so this view, does, this view yields a very low view of humanity. We are not endowed with dignity, you know, inherently. Uh, and we have virtually no responsibility. But in the second view that all things were created by the Lord God in the second view humans we are God's crowning achievement and we can look in Genesis chapter 1 at the creation account and find that we that the very first humans were created on the sixth and final day of this creation week that we are told about in Genesis 1 that we are the pinnacle of creation, and after God made the first humans, He didn't just say it is good, as He does throughout this text. That is a common refrain that runs as a thread throughout. He made it and He said it was good. He made this and said it was good. What does God say after He makes humans? It was very good. And He created us as caretakers, we are to have dominion over the world and the, and the plants and the animals that live here. We are to fill the earth and subdue it. This is Genesis language. 
God put Adam and Eve in the garden to work and to keep it, to take care of it. So we have a job to do. We have responsibility. We've been endowed with dignity. We are not just the result of chance, not the product of some cosmic accident. We are God's crowning achievement, the pinnacle of his creation. You see what a difference this makes between these two views. Secondly, let's keep thinking about this. In the first view, the the view that says everything came about by chance, humans are simply one among many types of creatures. I mean, certainly there are observable differences. I mean, everybody would say that humans have the intellectual capacity that is far above apes and rhinoceroses. Rhinocera, maybe we should say. I need to stop picking animals that are tough to do the plural. Giraffes and lions and uh, ferns and oak trees. Of course, we have an intellectual capacity that is greater. But when you really get down to it, if everything came about by chance, then humans really are simply one among many types of creatures. We are nothing special. And our rights are no greater than animal rights. Do you see how this sort of plays out in our culture today? You see the implications of that kind of thinking? But in the second view that God created all things, we are exceptional. Why? Because we are the only creatures of plants, animals, whatever. We're the only creatures fashioned in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then our text for this morning, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. We are the only creatures to bear his likeness, the only ones to be made in his image. So we are exceptional. And how about one more observation about choosing between these and how that affects how we view human life, human existence. In the first view, life is meaningless. It's purposeless. Even if you try to inject some sort of purpose into your being, at the end of the day, if you believe that you are the product of millions of years of random processes, if you're the result of chance, then your life does not have any inherent meaning or purpose because we could just as easily not have come into being. But in the second view, the view that says God has created all things, life is full of God-ordained purpose because the second view tells us that God, now this is, this is a very simple statement, but is, it is deeply profound. God chose to create you. God chose to create us. He didn't have to create us. He could have gone into eternity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in that Trinitarian God. He didn't need for us to exist, to love Him and to serve Him. He chose to make us out of an abundance of love. Because he wanted to share in a relationship with human creatures. He wanted us to share in a relationship with himself. And in fact, the communion that he experienced with the very first humans was so intimate, so close, that God is described 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, as walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And of course, that was all cast aside and it was all devastated and ruined when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and sin came rushing into the world. But it is that sort of intimacy, it's that sort of communion that God wants to restore and redeem through Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about as Christians. That's what we're about, proclaiming that God wants to restore that close relationship with His precious human creations through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And isn't it remarkable that we exist? That God wanted to make us to share in a relationship with Him? So do you see the difference that it makes between these two views? Which one you pick? It is very consequential. And um, we could go even, for, even further talking about the implications. Discussions about big ethical issues, some of the biggest that we face. Abortion, the sanctity of marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman for life. Uh, Same-sex relationships, romantic relationships, ra racial prejudice. All of these is issues should begin with a robust doctrine of creation. The conversation begins with Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. I mean, it in that informs our worldview on these hot topics, these big issues, and many more. So what you believe about how all things came to be is very important, vitally important. And here's maybe the big point that I, I want us to get to this morning. Believing that all creation, and humans in particular, came forth from the might and the intelligence of God should compel us to worship Him. It should be motivation, it should be fuel for us to fall down on our knees and adore and to worship our God and creator in heaven above. You know, some people admire the beauty of the earth, but they stop there. And the creation itself almost to them becomes like a God. But the Hebrews writer reminds us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself, going back to that, that analogy, that illustration. Don't honor the house. Don't fall down before the house it's the builder who deserves your adoration and your worship and your devotion because the builder of the house has exceedingly much more honor than the house itself. The psalmist in Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation declares the glory of God simply by existing, simply by functioning in the way that it's supposed to. And we as humanity, we are called to join in worshiping our creator, our God. In December 1968, the crew of the Apollo 8 spacecraft became the first humans to leave the Earth's orbit, to reach the moon's orbit, and then return safely to Earth. And this was a big deal in 1968. And I don't remember it, uh, but I know from speaking to those who do, it was unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. They were also, these astronauts, the first to see Earth as a whole planet and the first to witness Earth rise from behind the lunar surface. And here is a picture of what they were able to see. During the mission, the crew recorded a special Christmas Eve broadcast. Maybe some of you remember listening to that at the time, or watching that. At the time, the broadcast was the most watched TV program ever. And I want to share with you what these three astronauts said on this broadcast. 
in December of 1968. Astronaut Bill Anders began. We are now approaching lunar sunrise. And for all the people back on earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided light from the darkness. Astronaut Jim Lovell continued. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Astronaut Frank Borman concluded. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in, into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, and Merry Christmas. And God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. All of us on the good earth, we don't need to see what these three saw to be inspired to worship our Creator God. Because we've got plenty of reminders down here. And maybe this strange season has afforded you the opportunity to notice these reminders, to stop, to pause, to look around, and to see the beauty of the earth. A bird in majestic flight. A powerful waterfall. The view of the mountains from a distance. The taste of a ripe strawberry. The intricate bloom of a flower. And we need also to remember what the Word of God teaches us about us. That we, humans, are the crowning achievement of God's creation. That He made us to bear His image. That He infuses our lives with purpose. These truths alone pro provide enough fuel to worship our Creator God for 10,000 years and then forever more. And what's remarkable to me about how the Bible talks about creation and our Creator God in the New Testament the Bible tells us that he's not yet done creating. Our creator God is not yet done creating. Our New Testaments tell us that he wants to create us anew. To share in communion, in relationship with him through Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. As I heard a preacher once say, you are not a better you as a Christian. You are quite literally a new you. A lot of people talk about becoming a better version of ourselves. You know, sort of like we upgrade our computer software. Becoming Joseph 2.0, I don't know. Becoming a better version of yourself. The 
Bible. The New Testament doesn't talk about becoming a better version of yourself. It talks about becoming literally a new you. And if you have not been baptized into Christ, then God has not made you new. And he wants to make you new. He wants to make you into a new creation that will dwell in relationship with him right here, right now, starting this morning, if you want to come and be baptized into Christ, and that will extend into eternity. He wants to create a new heart, a new, give you a new spirit. He wants to wash away all your sins so that you can dwell in a right relationship with him. Or if you are a baptized believer, but you, as you look at your life, you are not living in a way that brings God glory and honor, Maybe you recognize that I need God to restore me, to, to renew my heart and my spirit, to make me the person, the new me, that he wants me to be. Maybe God, the creator, needs to get to work creating anew in your life. If you need to come and to confess the wonderful name of Christ, if you need to repent of your sins, if you need to be baptized so that you can rise up a new creature, we want to invite you to come if you're struggling in any way and you need prayers, the prayers of, of God's people here. Why don't you come right now also as we stand and sing together?